Welcome back to the old Fumble Pod. Justin here to let you in on some awesome news. We recently started to play a game called Mutant Crawl Classics. What is Mutant Crawl Classics, you ask? Well, it's an absolute blast. That's what it is. We get to play around in a post-apocalyptic world as a bunch of primitive tribal mutants, a bunch of sentient plant creatures, and spoiler alert, one of us even plays a half-man, half-squirrel character. It's a lot of fun. So if you're in the mood for something a little more goofy and a little less spooky, head over to our Patreon and sign up, start listening to this new MCC game. It's available at our $5 tier and up, and those are five Canadian dollars too. So for a lot of you that listen, that's not even five bucks after Patreon does its fancy little conversion thing. So make sure you go check that out. It's a lot of laughs set in an absolutely crazy world. And also check out this brand new episode of What the Fumble. I suggest you listen to this one while enjoying a nice, tall glass of lemonade. Make sure it's a tall glass, though, not wine. Here's episode 29, Freshly Squeezed. Big meaty hand. What a way to start! Why would <laughs> oh, you start like that? Meaty hand. Well, no, that's how we ended, Colin. A meaty hand. So, yeah. like, a big meaty, it a big meaty hand. Oh man! A big meaty hand parted the beads covering this hut. Like an abnormally big meaty. Uh, you know what? We'll Biggest wait. meatiest hand you've ever seen. But yeah, let's let's uh, ease into it. I feel like things are going to get creepy and weird again tonight. Okay. So let's open with something light. Before I make you cry, <laughs> I'm really hoping to pull some tears out of them eyeballs tonight. Oh, I no. would love it. I would love nothing more than a few tears to wet your cheeks. So, yeah, let's start light. Uh, let's something light. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Well, uh, you know, all those, uh, there's a lot of people who do like the full party of all one thing you know what i mean like a, a party of nothing but fighters nothing but oh. wizards if we were going to do that what what would it be soby what would you pick what would yeah. be the what's your ideal everybody is this party everyone's the same thing what do you want us to be uh i think like as a group we've like talked before about how we really want to have like an all bard party and just <laughs> make it like a band I don't know what the band would be called, but that'd be a cool... Super easy. They tour the realms, and it'd be called the Minstrel Cycle. There, there you go. There you go. Okay, that, done. <laughs> I think there's... All right, cool. On to the creepy. I think, unfortunately, <laughs> pretty sure there's already a podcast out there based completely around that idea. Oh, yeah, uh, cool. Actually, pretty good. I kind of like the idea of a group of sorcerers because they're just, it's just a group of five douchebags who are all just naturally good at stuff. <laughs> Why just are we running around? Wow, I'm just so amazing. We're all named Chad. Yeah, What's it's going like five on? slashes. <laughs> hey! <laughs> now you said know what you are. You said good at stuff. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> I stand corrected. But you're going with sorcerer? Yeah. Because everyone's really just cool. naturally amazing. Yeah. I'm like, that's a good justification, too. I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I only travel with people as great as me. Right. 
And we're all high charisma, so we're all just, like, posing at each other. Um, I think five warlocks would be fun. Ooh. Um, and basically, it's a giant pissing contest of whose, you know, patron is better than everybody else. Oh, they all have different <laughs> patrons? Yeah. Who's got oh, the most yeah. value for selling their soul? Exactly. <laughs> well, so my soul is worth this. Call their group the dealmakers. <laughs> <laughs> That's not too bad, though. You can effectively have five patrons going... This is our bet. Let's see what goes on. Exactly. We'll put them together. I think that'd be fun. Oh, that wouldn't be too bad. Who Plus, comes out on top. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You can get hex blades. You can get, especially the talisman one. I haven't played with that. There's some utility There's a lot there. Subclasses there. Yeah, yeah that wouldn't no. be too bad. I, I can see a story of like these five patrons or these six patrons or these X amount of patrons all had a bet that you have to kill this one insert super difficult BBEG. Now go power yourselves up and and. Do what you got to do. MacGuffin Alisk. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, not the MacGuffin Alisk. <laughs> MacGuffin Alisk. They're terribly dangerous. Those things. <laughs> David, we're all the same class. What are we? Uh, we're all fighters, and we call it Fight Club. I don't know. And whoever has the biggest Fight Club wins in the whole spiel of the campaign. Possibly the biggest Fight Club. Yeah, and they're all fighters. Well, yeah, I'm, like I'm, I'm totally clever. <laughs> Great, that's a good movie. Good They're movie. all humans too. Yeah. Just a, they all use cudgels. Yeah, this sure. is my fight club. <laughs> During the off time, you guys could make soap. Yeah, yeah, yeah pee in yeah. soup. That's the only other thing I remember about that. <laughs> it's such a great movie. Rewatch it, man. It's a fucking fantastic movie. Adam, we're all the same class. What are we? I would say we're all artificers, just so you never run this campaign. <laughs> That's a good way to guarantee it. Good answer. I fucking hate artificers so much. I'm sorry. It was one time. Oh, man. You're not the only one I've had to deal with. Oh. They're not. I don't like them. <laughs> it's a good I, answer, Adam. I would never run that campaign. There we go. Perfect. I think they're fun. They're like, the concept's good, and the, like, it's all right if you're doing a high magic campaign. Um, We've, yeah, I guess yeah. like to anyone listening, like it's one of those classes where, I mean, you know, we don't ever put any hard limits on our creativity, but it's one of those classes where I've strongly suggested you guys stay away from. And the reason in my mind is I think an artificer is awesome in like a three person party where there's Ooh. roles that need filling, you know, there's, there's, in your traditional party, there's more than three roles that need to be filled, and having an artificer lets you kind of plug those holes if yeah. you only have three people at the table playing. But when you've got five players, like an artificer, it's just like, all right, cool, so we'll just make him roll everything, I guess, and we'll sit here and watch. It's uh, I yeah, don't, I'm not like a fan. Too much utility. It's a bit too much for, in my opinion, for a party of five at least. So it's not overall. It's not too much, but in a party of five, it's it's it takes the fun out of the rest of the table pretty much because the artificer can roll everything better than you. Yeah, and like there's like the area buffs that they get. It's like, oh hey, um, I I get five times the value because there's so many of us. Yeah, that's fair. Just- yeah, yeah, it gets really. Uh, in my I opinion, it gets silly. I still think five paladins would be the most broken. Maybe Ooh. so. I don't know. I can't imagine <laughs> anything more broken than five <laughs> Literally. Just all that divine smite on tap. <laughs> there we go. We do the five artificer campaign, and then he gets to take all of the gloves off. 
<laughs> He's just walking around people taking... So by campaign, you mean one shot and rocks fall from the ceiling. Oh, exactly. All right. Just that one time where we played for one turn of combat and I used an ancient red dragon to wipe out your artificer-only party. <laughs> yeah. That's how that campaign would go in a nutshell. All right, everyone never do that. three weeks on your backstory, just Oops. like essays. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh. Back to the big meaty hand. Oh, oh. You keep saying it. It was meaty, guys. I don't like that adjective. <laughs> the, they didn't like it when Salash said it. <laughs> they certainly don't like it when you say it. Mm. Oh, yeah, so it's a big weak hand is what we're saying. Exactly, yes. This is the funny thing, too. I think there's no muscles in the fingers. It's all tendons. So, like, that palm, she meaty. <laughs> oh. All right, let's rip off the Band-Aid. You guys were traveling through the mists. If you remember, I rolled some dice last week to determine our travel time. You guys aren't aware of the, of the number, but I am. And towards the end of hour number three in these mists, you made it to this island, 20 feet in diameter. There is a colorful wooden canoe pulled up to its shore. And an equally colorful hut right smack in the middle of this little island. A hut made of all these multicolored cloths and linens. The door, well, instead of a door, the entrance is just covered. Strings full of beads and trinkets and bells. And you guys had, you called out, I believe, with some magic. Or you used your magic slash to like... You know, shake the beads exactly. in the door, right? <laughs> well, not shake them physically, literally create the sound of them being shaken. Oh, right. That's right, because magic. Slash definitely knows what a bead curtain sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> he would. He certainly would. But the noise is enough to summon the big meaty hand. Gah! It kind of parts these beads and pushes them aside and then standing in the entrance to this hut, you see the largest human you have ever seen in your lives. Taller than Merlin, his stature easily compares to Lustra's massive dragonborn form. This guy is big. His head is shaved bald. He has this very well-kept handlebar mustache kind of covering part of his upper lip. He's wearing this simple white tunic, a pair of yellow and green striped pants. He looks like one of those old-timey circus strongmen. Kind of. He looks like he should be <laughs> holding a barbell with big circular weights on it, <laughs> is how this guy looks. I love him. <laughs> he, with one hand, pushes the beads aside, and with the other, just silently gestures towards the inside of the hut without a word. What do you guys do? Challenge him to basketball? I don't know. Slash <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of looks to the group and then looks to the human. Do you speak common? He nods. Um, that seems like understand common, but not speak. 
Hello, my name is Tessantius. What's yours? Again, he just kind of gestures silently towards the inside of the hut, but a second voice at that point says something from inside. A, a second person, apparently, in there. You may all enter peacefully. Please come in. I am sure you are all very tired from your travels. We we are still traveling. Are you going to try to stop us? I have no desire to stop you. Luster's going to hop out of the boat and onto the island. And when he hops onto the island, does he notice that that 20-foot radial sphere around him does that change at all by hopping onto this island no so i mean like the island is completely clear of myths i mean no matter yeah it hasn't really changed no so the perception doesn't change if i hop onto here is is what i'm i guess is probably more appropriately what i'm trying to ask is once i make landfall i get off the boat i'm on the island does my perception of the mists around change at all? Like, I'm oh, like, do they come back in? They, like, do they come back in, or is it like, am I entering a new domain? Or oh no, they're still like the completely same? surrounding. Okay, you, yeah, you okay. Can, there's no direction where you look where there's not mists. If you look, you know, further than twenty-ish uh, you know, feet, the ceilings, the mist ceiling still twenty feet above ground, still covered in mist. I'd say here at the hut, maybe the sides are a little further out, but still no more than like maybe 30, 40 feet. Still very surrounded by mist. Okay. Slash would like to do an insight check to see if what she's saying sounds truthful. Sure. Genuine. Uh, That is a 17. Sounds genuine. Sounds genuine. And the look on this massive gentleman's face, this huge strongman looking guy at the entrance he's very like he's got this poker face but he doesn't seem he means you harm either uh lenaro will look uh him dead in the eyes hold up van richten's cocooned body in blankets and such and go will you help he silently gestures towards the inside of the hut i guess not (laughs) well who were the people who cursed van richten Erasmus said someone cursed him, and they were probably in the domains, and this seems very hoodoo. Well, regardless, I think what's going to happen is Looster's going to take his rosary, clasp it in his hand, make sure it's nice and safe, and he's going to walk towards the hut and be like, hey, I think these guys have information. We need information. I'm willing to talk. Slash nods quickly. And follows quickly behind. I believe it would be in our best interest to perhaps get some directions in the mists. Yeah, Tess will uh, sort of just say to herself, we need to stay close to the talisman. And we'll try to stay on Looster's coattails, look back towards Lenara and Merlin. Yeah, Merlin, Merlin, I think, kind of like looks over to to Lenar and kind of like shrugs his shoulders like I guess I guess we're all going in you're gonna kick me off the boat regardless let's go (laughs) (laughs) so one by one you all enter into this hut oh god inside it's lit by this single lantern that sits on top of a shelf next to a variety of strange decor you see skulls of 
creatures you've never heard of. There's jars filled with different liquids, colorful tapestries hung all over the place. The large, muscular, silent guy who led you in goes and takes a position kind of at the back of the hut, standing just a few feet behind the person who owns that voice you heard. It's an old woman. She's sitting in a chair behind a desk. Her long white hair kind of hangs down to well below her shoulders. It's frizzy and unkempt, but it's kind of held in place by this bleached white bandana that covers her eyes completely. Just this white cloth that fully blocks her vision. The rest of her clothes are made from, you know, stitched together from every color of cloth you've ever seen in your life. And she's sitting behind this massive desk very calmly. There's a desk that's filled all sorts of strange baubles, components. There's things like the foot of a chicken and vials of every color and shape you've ever seen. Right in the middle of the desk is this massive crystal ball. It's about a foot, maybe a foot and a half in diameter. The insides of the ball are just, they're swirling with mist that look, I mean, it looks like the ball is containing those same mist that's completely surround you. And with a very calm voice, she greets all of you. The mists told me I would have visitors today. I did not expect so many different bloodlines to arrive at once. Please, you must be weary from traveling the mists. My name is Madame Lysenia. This is my protector. She kind of gestures towards that massive muscular man. This is my protector, Rafa. You will have to excuse Rafa's silence. He has sworn an oath to never speak again. Takes his oaths quite seriously. Cut his own tongue from his mouth. But please, are you hungry? We have ways to heal you if you require assistance. How potent is this healing? She kind of smiles and it's almost like this knowing nod. Rafa and I are quite skilled in the art of restoration. I can offer you aid as small or as large as you require. The mists have whispered of the weaknesses that plague your minds, and I have listened. I would be honored to help. I feel like it wouldn't be for free, though. Slash nods in agreement. Surely this would come at a price. As of course, such restorative magics require expensive components. I fear we only have the means of curing one of the effects that ail your minds. And surely you understand the importance of a fair trade. So yes, you are correct. Everyone looks at Lustra. <laughs> <laughs> we can not simply gift this to you. 
Okay, so we have a very sick person among us, and I feel like that's the most pertinent thing we need to fix first, is Van Richten. Yeah. If we are <laughs> to... I, I mean, I don't mean to overstep bounds that, that, here. That was out of character. Yeah. <laughs> In character, it's a lot more agreeable. Okay, yeah. okay. Someone would give me, maybe even uh, Lenar, whoever wants to do it, someone give me an Arcana check. <laughs> Does somebody have a better Arcana? <laughs> uh, I, got, I didn't get to that class yet in school. I, I've got a three. Let's get to the smart man. Uh, ooh, that's a 19. 19 is very, very good. You recognize some of the trinkets and baubles on her desk, and among them are... Among them is a decent amount of diamond dust. There's like a little baggie uh, and a half open, a little diamond dust spilled out onto the top of the desk, and you remember... Everyone's giving me weird looks. It sounds like I just described a bag of cocaine. Yeah, that's <laughs> but like, I mean, I, it's I definitely assume, diamond dust. Yeah. I assume they were that's storing you, diamond oh, sure. dust on the way in. Sure. Yeah, that's how you cast the spells, right? Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah. you would recognize those components as being necessary for restoration spells, a lesser and greater restoration. And she has enough diamond dust on the table to cast like a greater restoration spell. So above the table, what she just offered is to cure... I mean, she could cure a lot of things here. She is offering to cure... She could put Adam's character back together again. Oh, shit. She could take the love thing away from Lustra. She actually has psychic tape. She (laughs) could make Merlin stop requiring alcohol. She could make Slash not scared of being tied up. She could even make Slash stress-free with this spell. Eh, screw that one. There's a lot (laughs) that she could do, uh, but yeah, she says, unfortunately, only has the components to do it once, and it's not a gift. What is the cost? She smiles knowingly once again. It's so odd. You notice, like, by her actions and the way she's looking around, she's got this bandana on her, over her eyes, but her actions almost imply, like, she very, very much can see, almost sense, like, what's happening in the room around her. It's a very odd, very odd lady sitting in front of you. Mm -hmm. You ask her the cost, and she smiles and says, We, Rafa and I, we are here for the same reason all of you are here. We are here because it is where the mists have taken us. The mists whisper and I listen. You see, while we may be skilled in restoration, I am but a vessel for the mists. Sometimes they desire to show things to people. This, no doubt, is why they have brought you here. They wish to show you something. I wish to be the vessel for that to happen. In return, I will cure what ails one of you. What do they wish to show us? She shrugs. A look of disgust comes across Salash's face. Surely nothing of import. One can never know what the mists want to show us. Well, why they desire to show us. 
but allow me to be this vessel. Allow me to show you what the mists desire to show you, and you will leave here healed. Insight check. On <laughs> <laughs> oh, the table does not trust me at all right now. No, I like the no. looks in this room. No, L- Lustra is... table is not trusting this. Lustra has always been throughout this entire campaign about trades and all that stuff. That doesn't sound like a reasonable thing. So, insight check or, on that. Yeah, that's true. No, no way that the cost is just, I want to be the vessel. I want to see if she's hiding something from we're us. We're going to give you a thing and give you a thing. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's a not, no, with stress, it's an eight. So, no. <laughs> She's on the level. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, she probably is on the level, but the things that the mists want to show us, you know, so far it hasn't shown us anything like that we want to see. So it's probably something pretty bad. And she knows that. And I think it's she implied. She shakes her head. No. When they, when you say that Merlin, she says, I did not say us. The mists want to show you something. And she points directly at you. Oh, me. I'm a volunteer. Oh, well then. They have whispered. I have listened. This is why they have brought you here. Uh, well then. I mean, I... I guess I can... Yeah, I can handle that. I can... Just wants to show me something. I can can deal with that. And I like being drunk, so... Someone else take this. Slash puts up a hand for a moment. (laughs) He says... Before you go, Merlin, what do you get out of this, madam? Showing us what the mists say. Clearly there is some kind of motive involved with this. She shakes her head no again. Says, I have no motive but to please the mists. I go where they take me. I show things to those they desire me to show things to. No more, no less. My desire is simply to please the mists and do their bidding. Why us? She shrugs. Again, a question I do not know the answer to. You uh, must know what the mists want. You listen to them all the time. If it's if it's it's something on what the what a realm wants, and on that note, could Lustra maybe in his time with this clan and stuff and talking about different realms would they have any kind of affiliation with good or evil are they neutral like something that broad is is this something that we should avoid at all costs and maybe the stories he heard like he heard the Bagman growing up is this kind of like one of those stories or is did he hear like a story about an old lady in the mist no absolutely is that what not. you're asking me no I guess what I'm asking is uh, would the uh, it's very specific, but the interdimensional elements between realms, are they naturally good or evil? Or ne- or are they neutral, I guess, is what I'm asking. The alignment of the interdimensional forces. It's like asking if a signpost is Well, I know, evil. but but the thing is that this person lives here, so obviously they have some kind of alignment. I'll give you an insight check. Okay. So that's a 10. <laughs> a 10, and you don't really glean any new insights aside from the information you've picked up along the way so far you do know that the purpose of the domains of dread is to imprison incredibly evil creatures mm-hmm. uh, your best guess is probably neutral it's hard to tell there's a lot going on in the mists I mean after that role Looster would look to the group and be like if they're in between realms sorry miss I don't mean to talk about you with you in presence here I mean 
of the utmost respect, but I mean, I feel like we're in a neutral area here. So I feel like... Uh, no place is more neutral than this place. Rafa, and she gestures towards Rafa, her, her guard, her bodyguard. There are many who come here and fear that not only will the mists show them something they do not want to see, that perhaps I will see it as well. This leaves many with an uneasy feeling, but I assure you, your secrets are safe with Rafa. He has taken an oath to never speak of what happens in this hut, and though I cannot say I have taken the oath as literally as he did, your secrets are safe with me as well. My only desire is to be the vessel. I do believe this is up to only one of us. And she'll look at Merlin, the one who was singled out. All heads turn to Merlin Carlisle. We yeah. leave this choice in your hands, or at least I do. Uh, well, I mean, I've come across my, you know, fair share of fortune tellers on Chult, and only a few of them have robbed me, so... Fifty-fifty <laughs> <laughs> shot, really. Yeah. This lady looks like a grifter right here. <laughs> and this... <laughs> just flashbacking to the last time Merlin looked at a crystal ball. Come on, I can take it. I can take one more. <laughs> and now the mist says, which cup is the nut underneath? <laughs> Come on, double our nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, this time I have backup, so I... What could, what could possibly go wrong here, and... You know, as for keeping secrets, I'm, you know, nothing too embarrassing has happened in my life, so I can't imagine this is going to be too bad. You fought hobos for two years. Lenaro whispers to Taz and get ready to fight some bums. There's a lot out there. I have a decent amount of enemies, I guess. Well, okay, so, all right, fine, deal. You get to show me something, and in return, uh, maybe put Lenara back together. Is that a thing we can do? Is that, is that how that, this is going to work? The choice of how you use the restorative magic is yours. Okay. All right. All right, lady. And uh, Merlin kind of like lays back. Dear thing. <laughs> <laughs> lays down, oh, oh, spread oh. eagle. <laughs> oh, man. It's one of those huts. <laughs> that will not be necessary, young man. <laughs> Wait, well, yeah, the big man's not going to say anything, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> what and happens in, in this hut. You guys wait for me on the hut. boat. <laughs> He's not going to say anything. And then in come the big, meaty hands. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, Justin wanted tears. Yeah. He's getting tears. <laughs> What's so that rating again? Not the right kind yet, though. <laughs> Take what I can get. No, uh-huh. she, uh, yes, that will not be necessary. Only a drop of your blood. Oh, shit. And she pulls out a very thin, very tiny little needle from one of the baubles on her desk. And she also pulls, you notice the, that foot and a half diameter crystal ball is set, it's sitting on this very, expensive looking like golden pedestal with uh, it's carved to look like the pedestal has like claws for feet and she pulls a tiny little drawer a little hidden drawer out from this pedestal 
and there's a little black flat stone in that drawer and she asks you to place your finger over it so she can put a drop of blood on that stone alright Merlin extends his Slash pulls out another hand I understand that this is an important ritual for you and the mists but you must understand that our friend is quite sick heal him first or heal them first and then we shall do this ritual. Uh, you can try persuasion here. It's pretty high DC. <laughs> I don't know if you can hit it, actually. Uh, that is a 21. She shakes her head no and says, If I heal you first and you break your word, I am out the diamond dust. If I break my word, you have only gained knowledge. Merlin kind of like looks back over to the group. Hey guys, it's all right. Just just let her do her thing. You know, things go sour. Yeah, we know what to do. We do what we always do. And give Merlin, her your finger. Oh yeah, give her the finger. As he's doing that, Tess just takes Merlin's hand in both of hers and says, "Are you absolutely sure? You don't have to do this. I mean." We've had a rough couple of days. I'm not sure if you have that much blood left, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Marlin taps his big old noggin. There's a lot more. <laughs> There's a lot more. And uh, he he removes Tess's hand from his. Uh, listen, I can I can handle this. And Van Richten, he re- he really needs this. He might not make it. All right, this is his only shot. So let me do it. She grabs your hand and pulls it over this little black flat stone in the drawer of the pedestal before she pricks it with a needle she says I must warn you while the secrets the mists will reveal are safe with Rafa and I I do not speak for the others here do you wish for them to see this as well hmm Sure, yes. Let them see. Fair enough. Regardless of the answer, uh, Lenar will give you uh, a goblet of wine. I'm going to need that, yeah. (laughs) Good call. You take a drink, and she says, I love you, man. (laughs) Very well. She pricks your finger with that little sewing needle. Squeezes the end of it till just a single tiny little drop of blood falls and hits that flat stone with a hiss. Starts to smoke. She quickly closes the drawer of the pedestal shut and the mists inside the crystal ball start to swirl around and change. And Madame Lysenia says, Perspective is an odd thing, is it not? Oftentimes, we see something happen, make assumptions, but look at the same event through the eyes of another, and they are entirely different. Sit. Watch. You sit there with your little goblet of wine. The mist inside her crystal ball start to take shape 
The myths show us all this very fancy carriage that stopped in the traffic of a very busy street in the middle of an equally busy city. Carriage itself looks like it's worth more than most people make in a lifetime. Gold trim shining brightly in the daylight. It's being pulled by two horses. Driver sitting in the front holding these well-oiled leather reins. Whole carriage looks like hey, it looks like something the Queen of England would ride around in. And in the back of that carriage is a portly old man wearing noble's clothes. Long, flowing robes dyed in expensive shades of purple. A man you immediately recognize as your father, Merlin. His wrinkled face is clean-shaven. And on top of his head, he has a very choice haircut. Snow white hair, kind of sitting on top of his head like a perfectly trimmed bowl. Hell yeah. (laughs) A choice haircut. The old noble is occupied by a stack of paperwork while grumbling loudly about how he should sue whoever came up with all these documents in the first place. He's sharing the back seat of the carriage with a young man, early 20s, who's also sporting the same token Carlisle haircut. <laughs> a well, you can afford a barber. <laughs> a well-trimmed blonde bowl cut that seems to sit on top of this young man's head like a toupee. These two Carlisles are arguing while they're stopped in traffic in their carriage. The young one says, what's the point of being rich if we have to go to work every day? Merlin's 18th birthday is in two days. And all the good shops are closed by the time You decide we're leaving work. Can't we take one day off to go get him something? I was thinking this is 18th. We could get him a really nice sword. We'll get it. We get it engraved, jewel-crusted hilt. You know, something, something cool. But Merlin's father just guffaws. Your brother's the clumsiest, most unlucky person I know. He'd accidentally kill himself with it, or he'd lose the thing gambling in the fighting pits. Plus, we're almost there already. And sure enough, Merlin's dad gestures ahead to just a few hundred feet away, where a very busy merchant's shop named Copper Tree is alive with activity. As you didn't notice, that's uh, Sobe's version of Dollar Tree. (laughs) (laughs) His family owns the dollar store. (laughs) (laughs) We're very rich, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) I promise. 
Ooh, breathe, breathe. <laughs> breathe, breathe. There's more to get through. Oh, shit. The myths have more to say. <laughs> the poor mists. <laughs> but yeah, Merlin's dad gestures ahead to just a few hundred feet away where this copper tree is alive with activity. There's customers pouring in and out of the door. But as Merlin's dad looks up towards his shop, his eyes narrow and his gaze lingers on a group of three people that are standing outside of the copper tree questioning customers. Two of them are wearing black armor. They've got black cloaks on with the symbol of a yellow eye wearing a golden crown. Both of them have these freshly sharpened long swords on their hips. And the third figure is standing between these two armored guards, wearing this unmarked long black robe that hides his features. And when Merlin's dad notices these three people, the color just drains from his face. He says, I've changed my mind, Albin. Take the rest of the day off. Here. And he hands Albin Carlisle, Merlin's brother, a bag full of money. This random bag of money. Let's go find that sword. Don't let the merchants take advantage, though. Shop around. Take your time. Get out of the carriage. Albin Carlisle makes no arguments. With that, with a bag full of money... He happily obliges, gets out of the carriage, and goes running off down the street to find a birthday sword for his brother. And then Merlin's dad leans towards the carriage driver, and he says, Duncan, turn us around. Take us home. Stop by the docks first. And this carriage driver just, like, looks back, this confused look on his face, like, Sir, we're, uh... Middle of a traffic jam here, sir. I'll, uh... It's like, damn it, Duncan Doolittle. Turn this carriage around and get us to the docks. <laughs> Duncan Doolittle. <laughs> this is what happens when you let Sobe name things. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be dark. <laughs> damn it, Duncan Doolittle. <laughs> Turn this carriage around. Get us to the docks. And then back home. When I hired you, you said you were the best damn driver in the Omnation. And get us out, I'll triple your wages. And then this Duncan Doolittle, motiva- motivated by a potential 200% wage increase, starts to crack that horse whip. But he doesn't crack it towards his horses. Instead, he starts cracking it towards the drivers of, like, other nearby carriages <laughs> and just starts yelling at everyone around. And he's like, out of the way, everybody! You're the guy! <laughs> and after a bit of effort, a path is cleared and this carriage starts heading towards the docks. Away from the copper tree and those three men in black questioning characters outside, or questioning customers outside the door. The mists... Fast forward to Merlin's dad standing in front of these docks. There's a nearby merchant ship that's being loaded up with crates and barrels. Merlin's dad is talking to what looks like its captain. When does this ship leave? 
captain replies, it's leaving this afternoon, headed to Cholt. I need to buy passage for one. Captain explains that this is just a merchant ship. They don't really do the whole passenger thing. But Merlin's dad takes out yet another bag of money. One that must have at least 500 gold in it. And he hands it to this captain. And just says, I also need you to wait until the passenger arrives. He's a young man, tall, haircut like mine. His head is shaped kind of like a lemon. <laughs> tall, not wide. <laughs> the bag of money quickly shuts this captain up. and just nods in agreement. Doesn't question Merlin's dad any further. And then the Carlisle family carriage heads home to a very lovely three-story house. There's gardeners, groundskeepers, there's servants of all sorts, hustling and bustling all over the grounds, keeping the Carlisle mansion in order. Duncan, I need you to go tell every servant they have the rest of the day off with pay. Get them out quickly. And Duncan Doolittle questioning look on his face. Like, Sir, are you okay? oh, Are you alright? He says, do as I say, Duncan, and then wait outside in the carriage. And Duncan, not wanting to put that 200% wage increase at risk, he shuts up and he does what he's told. Goes off to start telling the servants to go home. With pay. The mist kind of fast forwards through the servants leaving the mansion, leaving Duncan Doolittle to be the only servant left on the grounds of the Carlisle Mance. Inside the mansion, in the kitchen, we see Merlin's dad and his mother. She's an older lady, maybe late 60s, long silver hair tied in a ponytail. She has a fair complexion, aged, has aged very well. She's wearing this green dress made of just the finest linens money can buy. But her face is covered in tears as she's standing here in the kitchen talking to Merlin's dad. And their conversation is interrupted when Merlin Carlyle himself walks in the door. He walks in with fresh bruises on his face. He's got a bloodied lip, the red blood trickling down his chin. It's clear to everybody in the room that Merlin, once again, was gambling his allowance in the fighting pits. And once again, he bet on himself and he lost. (laughs) As soon as he walks in the door, his dad starts laying into him. They yell, they argue, and I'll keep this part short because Merlin was there and remembers this part of the story. This is a perspective you've seen, this argument. But you get Merlin gets yelled at about responsibility. The will gets kind of thrown around as a threat a few times. Long story short, Merlin is given this ultimatum to go out into the world and make something of himself. If he wants any part in the Carlisle family fortune. He's given a one-way ticket on a boat going to Cholt. 
two days before his 18th birthday. I'm sure there's like the the first Merlin reaction. I'm sure I feel like there'd be a lot of like this is bullshit. A lot of that going on. <laughs> yeah, there would be. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'll hire my own lawyers. They'll be better than yours. <laughs> Do you have any numbers for those lawyers? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna exactly. hire a better driver. Duncan, do bigger. Do better. Yeah. Do better. Do better. Duncan, Duncan, do better. Duncan, do better. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a lot of that. A lot of this is bullshit moments. Mm-hmm. But eventually, Merlin gets in that carriage, as we all know. And Duncan Doolittle drives him to the docks, where he gets on a boat headed to Cholt. But as soon as Merlin leaves and is out of sight, the mists stay focused on the perspective of your parents. And the moment you are out of sight, you watch your father just drop to his knees for a moment. He has to just catch himself from falling. You see tears, just a few of them fall down the cheeks of his face. So I don't think he suspects anything I... Just don't. I hope he doesn't hold this against me too long. And kind of stands himself back up. Merlin's mother comes to kind of place her shoulder. His father's place her hand on his father's shoulder. She says, "Are you sure, Pilbis? Maybe you saw wrong. Maybe we should. Maybe we should have just told him. I. I thought we'd have more time." Her words get cut off as more tears choke her up. And Merlin, your dad, Pilbis Carlisle, just hugs his wife. We knew this day might come, Carmen. We did everything we could to protect the child. Gave him our name. Hells, we moved to the th- we moved the entire carpentry from Baldur's Gate all the way here to hide him. Now we have to protect him one more time, my dear. If those men were questioning people at the shop and they know our name, they'll come here next. We'll tell them they have the wrong Carlisles. We'll offer them gold. We'll tell them our sons are old, moved out, whatever it takes to buy him time to get to that boat. And then Carmen Carlyle, Merlin's mom, wipes the tears from her face and just kisses her husband. Says, thank you. I'm sorry I led you down this path. And Pilbis shakes his head. So I made the choice as much as you did. And then Carmen pulls out this tiny trinket from her pocket it's this little alabaster kite shield the symbol of a silver long sword and a sprig of belladonna that's wrapped around the sword she takes this little trinket and she fastens it to the expensive piece of jewelry she's wearing around her neck and then she takes the trinket and kind of hides it inside the front of her dress do you still know how to use that? Carmen just shakes her head. No, I never did, really. But then she just kind of looks up to the heavens. 
There's one hand on her chest where her trinket is hidden, and she says, Ezra, I know you hold little power outside the mists, but if you're listening, grant Merlin the speed to reach that boat, and let Albin get distracted while shopping in the markets for a few more hours. Protect my children. And then her words are cut off as the front door gets violently kicked open. Not even a single knock. Immediately, those two guards in black armor and black cloaks with that symbol of a yellow eye wearing a golden crown come barreling into the room, quickly followed by that third unarmed person in a black robe. That guy was in the unmarked black robes. And it's that guy in the robes who immediately starts to bark orders. Search the house. And then he pulls back the hood of his cloak and reveals what looks like a human male, but with the features just slightly off. His eyes are colored black. His ears are slightly pointed. He's got short black hair. His complexion is slightly off. Has a very subtle grayish tint in his skin. But he wastes no time. Looks directly at Pilbis Carlisle. Where is the Shadowborn boy? Pilbis and Carmen do their best to look dumbfounded. Pilbis just reacts and tries to feign confusion. What is the meaning of this? I, well, it's just me and my wife here. Our son's moved away long ago. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I can have you sued, you know. You can't just come barreling into... And then Pildis's words are quickly cut off as this robed figure raises an arm and points a grayish hand with yellowed fingernails towards Merlin's dad. This swirl of black energy erupts from his finger and slams into Pildis's chest like a lance. His body goes stiff, and you can see this black energy fill the veins of Pilbis Carlisle's neck and fill his eyes. Black drops of blood start to trickle out of his nose, and then Pilbis Carlisle collapses, dead on the floor. Carmen lets out a shriek of terror. She reaches for the trinket on her chest and she starts to pray to Ezra. A detail that seems to very much amuse this robed figure. Its yellowed, grayish hand points now towards Carmen Carlyle. Her arms can go stiff by her side and her entire body gets lifted about a foot off the ground. She's just floating there, restrained by this creature. A priestess of Ezra. Then, no doubt, 
We are in the right place. I will ask you once more. You harbor a shadow-born child. Where is he? But before she has a chance to answer, Merlin's brother, Albin, comes walking through the broken door. He's holding the most expensive longsword any of you have ever seen. This is diamond-encrusted hilt. The Carlisle family name is engraved into this pure silver blade. But poor little Albin Carlisle drops that blade on the floor with a clatter in shock once he sees the scene in front of him. His father's body lying unconscious on the floor. Some strange black-robed guy magically strangling his mother. Albin Carlisle just stands there for a moment in shock. No idea what to do, what to think. Carmen Carlisle is dangling there in the air. Her eyes go wide in terror as her son Albin walks in. What if this evil man mistakes Albin for Merlin? What if he takes Albin, force kills him? But this black-robed figure looks over his shoulder at the same time, sees Albin standing there with his trademark bowl-cut haircut, turns back towards Carmen Carlyle, smiles with this evil, evil grin. Your quest to protect the shadow-born boy has come to an end, priestess of Ezra. And with that, there is a loud snap as Carmen Carlyle's neck breaks and her body falls to the floor with a thud. And then this figure turns towards Merlin's brother Albin. Albin. And the scene and the crystal ball you've been looking through suddenly ends, refills itself with mist, and we'll see you next week. Oh, oh, you can't be serious. Oh, man. My head IRL is pounding from that. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, 